Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. So on our fourth birthday, I want to take the opportunity to unpack briefly why we exist as a church, to come back to the basics. Um, Craig mentioned this statement that we have back here that actually took us two years to get that sentence together. Um, You will wonder why it took so long to get such a potentially simple sentence together. But behind every word of this sentence, to see the glory of God known across London and the nations, our thoughts, conversation, prayer, Bible verses, there is a rich confidence in this. And this is not for us trying to make something up, you know, and as a church, we're not trying to have a unique angle on, on what church should be. We are simply trying to seek God, the God of the Bible, understand his plan for the world and keep in step with him and his purposes. And we feel that this sums up really the, the heart and the passion of God himself. And at the very, very centre of this is actually the Lord. This, this vision of ours to see the glory of God known across London and the nations could stop at God. Our vision is to see the glory of God. For us as a church, that would be enough to see him, to behold the glory and the wonder of Jesus. Except for the point when we actually get to see Jesus, what happens is there is this overflow and it cannot be contained. When you see good news, when you hear good news, when you realise there is beauty out there, what happens is you want to share that with others, don't you? We want to share it with London. We want to share it with the nations. And that's what we know that the Lord is doing. We're told there are promises in Scripture that one day the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But at the very heart of all of this is for us is to know God. And this is what Psalm 27 unpacks for us so beautifully this moment where david says one thing have i asked says the one thing of all the things out there that i could want and desire the one thing the primary thing the driving force in my heart is that i would see the beauty of the lord this is the thing that david wants and this is this is very different to how a lot of us myself included often approach the lord because you might say daniel like that's great like you want god to be at the very center of the church like you would have thought that would be kind of like bog standard 101 you're a church that's kind of what you do you talk about god like great but actually it's possible to talk a lot about god but to have god on the periphery of your life as a divine butler helping you do the things that you really want to do. It's possible to live your life with your plans centre stage. Think I've got jobs that I want to go for, I want promotions, I want to increase my salary, I want to meet someone special, I'd like to get married, I'd like to have children, I'd like to buy a house one day, miracle of miracles, would it ever happen? I've got things I want to do And it's actually really good being a Christian because when you're a Christian, you've got a God that you can pray to. Like a butler, you can call, snap your fingers in prayer like, God, I really want this job. 
So I'll even get my community group to pray. We're going to get together. We're going to pray. I need you to give me this job. It's great being a Christian. I have this like helper on the side to help me get the things that I want. Not only do I work hard, I've got divine power on my side. And we become the center of our desires, our plans and our desires. And God becomes peripheral to our. Does that make sense? And we can do it as a church. We can come together and we want to learn how can I do really well in my life? Let's learn godly principles about how I can succeed with the things that I'm doing. And it can sound Christian without God actually being at the very centre of our heart's desires. And actually, if I could get the things that I really want to meet that person, to have that house, to have that job, to get the kind of life that I think I'm really working hard to achieve. If I could have that without the presence of Jesus in my life, yeah, wouldn't be so bad. I'd have it all. He would help me and I'd give thanks to him, surely, but I've actually got what I really want. David says, the one thing that I desire is to know the beauty of the Lord. This is, this is the primary thing. Because when we get salvation, salvation for us, it's not like an Amazon package filled with goodies. Now that we can think of it like that. Hey, I've got this package of like wonderful things. Like I'm, I'm forgiven. Forgiveness is in here. That's amazing. I got forgiveness. I get redeemed from my old life. That's, I get new life. I get eternal life forever. I, I never, one day I'm going to not have like any, like it's, we, we view it like this Amazon package of all these nice things that I get, that I get to enjoy. I'm adopted into God's family. This is, this is wonderful. They are all good things, but all of these things, forgiveness, being redeemed, being adopted into God's family, having this new life, having our heart turned from stone to flesh, all of this is given for one goal, that we might, as human beings, come to know the glory of God, that we might behold his splendor, because in the knowledge of God, John 17:3 says, in the knowledge of God is life, in knowing him is life. And so we have to be very careful when we talk about God at the very centre of our life, even saying, you know, I want to put God first in my life. I know we can say that sometimes. I'm putting God first in my life with this kind of idea that if I put God first, like, because that's the kind of thing you're supposed to do, then God would surely help me out. Like, I'm putting you first. So would you put me first too? Like, would we a little bit of back and forth here? Like, I'm putting God first. I'm going to pray a lot and I'm going to, and maturity and growing into this vision comes when we as Christians actually realise that life, I could take it and I could actually walk away from it if it meant that I could have Jesus Christ. It means for us, actually, I would be willing to move to a place that might mean losing some things in life. But if it meant that I would gain the presence of Jesus I would go there. This is what we're talking about. It's a radically different thing to what a lot of Christianity seems to be out there. For us, it's something that we can't force onto our heart. It's something that grows as we see the beauty of something better. So David says this in verse four of this, of this psalm. He says, let me just read it for us. 
Psalm 27. Let me open it up. It says, one thing, it's one thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This isn't David sitting on a beach, drinking a cocktail, enjoying the moment, thinking, yeah, I'd love just to behold your glory, Lord, right now. That's the thing that I'm really just enjoying. When you read the circumstances of David's life, there are many other things you would think you would really want to desire. One thing that I want. He is a king and he is under, under siege, under attack. There seemed to be an army arrayed against him outside of Jerusalem at this point, wanting to kill him. There are not just like online haters. There are people with swords in their hands, spears in their hands, who would, if they had the chance, thrust it through his chest. And so he tells us about these evildoers who assail me, who want to eat up my flesh. Verse three, he says, though an army encamp against me. And I mean, sure enough, like for most of us anyway, we've never had an army outside of our door, banging on the door, waiting to thrust a spear through our chest. But I think we have woken up, most of us, and had that moment in the morning where you realise there is not an army of soldiers, there is an army of deadlines and expectations and worries and stress and a sense of being overwhelmed and you have that sudden awakening of anxiety anyone testifying in the house and you think oh my goodness another day and I've got a lot to do can I and you wake up with that and all the pressure that we feel you listen to the news at the moment and I I mean I I turn it off now I I don't I'm not listening to I just like is enough just to deal with my everyday without knowing about what's going to happen in six months time with the economy and the politics etc etc there is this army of overwhelming pressure that can overwhelm us and we feel this pressure for David it gets worse because he says even in verse 10 my mother and my father have forsaken me we don't know between the lines what's happened here but there is this ruction in his family if you've ever had any family tension or even a mum and dad who have stepped away from you in any which way you know the kind of pressure and the emotional gut-like thing that can happen that can sometimes leave you breathless for weeks because of this He is living with this moment that even his mum and dad have stepped away from him. And yet David says, of all the things that I want in my life, I want to gaze upon the beauty of God. I want to know him. He is my desire. He is my passion. And my prayer for us as a church as we continue on this journey, following Christ in London, is that we could say with David the same thing. That I, 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 you know, I might want a promotion at work. I might want to do, well, I, I do want to meet someone. I want to, I want to buy a home someday. I, I want these things. But actually, if you ask me in an honest moment, the one thing that I actually want is to gaze upon the beauty of God. That's, that's, that's the thing. Because if we can have that, then everything else actually begins to, to fall into to place. David says these words, He says uh, in verse eight, he says, when the Lord asks him to seek his face, 
He says, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Let me ask you, is there anything in your heart that when you hear that from the Lord, would you seek my face? Is there anything in your heart, in our heart, that just goes, yes, it's your face that I want to seek. Beyond anything else, it's you that I want to know. This is what David longs for. And the truth is that for you and I, we, we need this, this God in our life to know him more than anything else more than getting out of financial situations more than meeting somebody more than all of the things that we hope for in in this world all of which might very well be good the thing we actually need is this this god and david describes the lord here in, in an interesting way because he says i want to gaze upon the beauty of the lord and we don't often talk about the beauty of the lord It's not a usual description that we make of him, even though the scriptures talk about the beauty and the the splendour of God. In in our days, it's not something that we tend to talk about. I remember when we went to, actually, Cheryl's birthday. I think it was your 21st birthday. Um, Yeah. Uh, And Cheryl gave a speech. There was a whole bunch of people there, and she gave a speech to people. and, and, And at one point, thanks God... And I don't know if you remember this, but Cheryl says, and I, and I want to thank, and the phrase that I remember, I want to thank my lovely God. And it struck me. I want to thank my lovely God. What's a lovely God? A lovely God is a beautiful God, not someone who just can do things for me. Not a powerful God. Powerful God can do something for you. Not a gracious God. I get things from a gracious God. But a lovely God. A beautiful God. A God whom has actually captured my heart. And it arrested, I still think about that phrase. He's a lovely God. In and of himself, he is beautiful. When we say that we we seek to see the glory of God, the scriptures really use glory and beauty in synonymous ways that actually to talk about the glory of God is really to talk about the beauty of God because how do you describe the glory of God it's actually very difficult to do that if you've ever just someone said what is the glory of God and you, you start stumbling over your words it's a bit like if you try and start describing beauty it's actually quite a difficult thing to to describe you say I saw this beautiful sunset yesterday and someone said oh what was it like? Well, there's like red in the sky. Okay, well, red, like there's red chairs. Why is it, why is it beautiful? Well, the sun was setting, it's infusing with these colours. Like, I've seen colours before. Why is it beautiful? You, it's hard. When you break down the component parts of beauty and glory, it actually sounds quite mundane. But you know beauty when you see beauty, don't you? You think, <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen beauty. This is, this is what we're, we're talking about. Something that we can't maybe just describe. It might be difficult. You might be annoyed with yourself that you don't have the words to really actually articulate how beautiful this God is. But you, you can know him when you recognise him. Me and my family, we went, um, before I got married, this is my mum my, my and dad and my two sisters. My dad took us on one last family hurrah to California. 
before we kind of the family dispersed and got married and moved out and things like that and we had an amazing time this road trip paid for by my dad it was amazing and uh, we, we traveled around California and we took a, a trip uh, through the Nevada desert to go see the Grand Canyon and before going to the Grand Canyon, you know, we were like reading up about it. We were getting all the stats about it and we were understanding like all the different things about how it happened. And, you know, it's like 13 miles wide at some point. It's like a mile down. It takes like miles just to get, it's, you know, it's an all day thing just to get to the bottom and get back up again with help. So we were reading about this thing, seeing, you know, pictures of it. So as we were driving through the desert to get to the Grand Canyon, like we could have described a lot of it to you. And if I had tried to describe it to you, I mean, you're basically just describing a very, very big hole in the ground. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's a very big hole in the ground. And millions of people every year go and travel to see a big hole in the ground. You describe the thing and you think, oh, what? And yet, when we drove to the Grand Canyon, and I was not expecting much, actually stepping out of the car, there was this emotional, like, my, my stomach literally lurched and was like this for minutes, just looking out at the splendor and the size and the grandeur of this canyon in the ground. So much so that we stayed another night and woke up before sunrise so that we could watch the sun just, just reflecting the beauty of this. Coming to know Christ is like that. You, you might hear stories about Jesus and you think, well, like I know, okay, he, he's healed someone before, like a, his teaching is authoritative. Yeah, we know that. It's very different when you actually read the Gospels for yourself and you actually meet him. Amen. When you actually come face to face with this Christ and he becomes enough, you come to him wanting help. I need help. I'm feeling this stuff in my heart and I'm feeling guilty and I, I, I'm lacking peace and I need you, God. I need help. And yet when you actually come to meet Jesus, what happens is you realize that you get all of this help. But Jesus himself, just knowing him is enough. When I first met Christ I was 17 and I was reading the gospel of Mark and I just finished my A-levels I must have been 18 I just finished my A-levels I was working in a cafe and I, I was one of the guys who had to open up so I was like up at 5.30 walking in early and there was an old vineyard song Jesus holy and anointed one and it's just this refrain Jesus 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 and I would sing it to myself because birds would probably die if they heard me singing but I would just walk, I'm just walking to the coffee shop and just being amazed at Jesus and singing his name. And that was, that was enough. Like I, I, there was nothing else that mattered to me. And that just even the name Jesus was beautiful to me. I just sing his name over and over. Just like, who is this God who is so compelling? This is what we're talking about, a, a being whom if we were to encounter, something happens deep down. In, and I'm not talking about something like spectacular, like you have to fall on the floor, you have to have, I'm not, it's a sense of the beauty of God on your heart that will stay with you and change you. This is our vision as a church, that we would know the loveliness of God.
the beauty of God in, is in a way that all of the attributes of God put together into one place. And that one place is in the face of Jesus Christ. Because God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. He's also a powerful God. He's also a, a humble God. And the reason why, if you look through systematic theologies, you will not normally find a chapter, the beauty of God, is because theologians would tell us that actually the beauty of God is not one of his attributes. It is the sum total of everything that he is. That when you find the love of God and you find the justice of God and when you find the tenderness of God and the, the power of God, when you find the humility of God and the exaltation of God, when you find all of the attributes in one man, in one face, in Jesus Christ, there in him we have the beauty and the glory of God. So I'm hoping in a sense that we as a church grow into the simplicity of just loving Jesus because we we need him we need his beauty his glory in our life there's a there is an English philosopher called Rod, Roger Scruton now I hope I get his surname right because if you get it wrong it sounds very bizarre but Roger Scruton he's actually passed away but he spent his whole career studying this concept of beauty and just trying to understand what it is in us that seems to need beauty in our life and he's not just talking about the beauty of a person he's talking about you know the beauty of a well-ordered house the beauty of music the beauty of a landscape the beauty of a person the beauty of a romance the the beauty of a relationship the beauty of a community the beauty of outworked justice sometimes beauty in its broadest sense he says we need beauty in our life and he says this in one of his works about beauty he says i am looking sorry he says um we can wander through this world alienated resentful full of suspicion and sometimes distrust or he says we can find our home here coming to rest in harmony with others and with ourselves the experience of beauty guides us along this second path that is finding a home in this world where we often feel lonely he tells us that we are beauty tells us that we are at home in this world and that the world is a place fit for the lives of beings like us which is fascinating and he makes this point that all of our attempts to go traveling to go on holiday all of our listening to music and watching films and going to the cinema and trying to find romance all of these attempts to find life he says are actually us trying to grasp at beauty because if we can glimpse and taste beauty in our life it's in those moments that everything feels like it's okay and beauty is very often in the eye of the beholder because your taste of music might not be my taste of music but I know that there are certain points in my life that I'm maybe feeling particularly low on an evening or there's pressure or whatever I know there's particular music that I turn to because there is some kind of beauty in that music that seems to help my heart and my soul just find peace in that moment anyone know that 
you, you might be like always desperate. I just want to get out to the countryside or your, your homeland. And you know there's a type of beauty there that sustains something in your soul while you live in what feels like an exiled life here. Does anyone know that feeling? You get glimpses of beauty that actually strengthen your heart. So for me, like one of the things I love doing is like when I'm cycling or driving through town is that moment, you know, when it's coming, when you're, you're going to cross one of the bridges in London, especially if you're on your bike. I mean, you generally like are taking your own life into your hands and you're living with like potholes and dirt and cars and pollution. And you're like, I'm normally late for somewhere. So I'm normally like stressed out. And then, you know, a bridge is coming. And you get to like Blackfriars Bridge or something and you just suddenly sail into the bridge and suddenly London from being like closed in over you just like opens up. You ever been like on a bus and you just come, you cruise onto, the, onto that bridge. Every single time I feel like a tourist still and I look up and something in me just takes a breath. Sometimes literally like, what? London is beautiful. Like it just lifts you and you think, like it, it does something, it keeps something in your heart. Do you know that, that, that feeling? It's why I think sometimes we love like, like films and like we just love those moments and it kind of just takes us out of ourselves to... One writer spoke about this, this moment where she was feeling particularly grumpy in her study. And I know no one in this room gets grumpy, so it's like not really relating. But if it did relate to you that you feel grumpy and resentful because there had some circumstance that's happened and her, her pride had been hurt, basically. And she was feeling resentful and she was like brewing over this person. And she says she looked out of the window and she saw out of her window, she's in the America, uh, this kestrel soaring in like the... Um, the thermals and she says as she gazed at the kestrel just like catching the thermals everything in her mind dropped and all that she was thinking about was the beauty of this kestrel with its wings just catching the thermals and she describes this moment of going from that beauty to coming back to this resentment that she had about this person who she felt slighted her and everything else just felt different and it changed her but i think you and i know that the beauty that we experience in this world though it is wonderful is just not enough because the holiday passes you have to come back home you go over the bridge and you're back in the closed in smoky polluted you've got to leave the countryside you've got to leave your homeland you've got other places that god has called you to be in this place you you can't live on Netflix you can't be out there in other places so where do we go if this world's beauty is not enough we go where David went we go where all of the beauty of this world takes us up beyond the beauty of the world and into the beauty of the Lord because it's only in his presence that we actually find enough that will sustain us not just through this life but through death and into the life to come it's only in his face that we get what we really need. And this is what David experiences because he says in verse two, when evil days assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. 
How does he do that? Because he's seen the glory and the beauty of God. He says this, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in this tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will make sing and make melody to the Lord. His confidence is not in the fact that I'm going to get to Netflix tonight and I'll get like an hour of escapism. His confidence is in the fact that I am one day going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and there I wait and there I am strengthened. This is what we desire and need. So my closing question for us is this. Where do we actually go if, if, if we are to find the beauty of God? Where do we go? The scriptures will tell us that all around us, that the heavens, they are declaring the glory of God. They're displaying, they're pointing us to God. But creation is, in of itself, is just not enough because it's not God. Creation points us to the Lord. And if we would follow the arrows of all of creation, they would take us to the Lord himself and actually somewhere very specific to a place of sacrifice where David longs to be. Because he says in verse 10, in verse 4, sorry, one thing I've asked of the Lord and that while I will seek after that I may dwell. Where? In the house of the Lord, in the temple. He says, I want to be, he is the king, he's not a priest, but he says the place that I want to be is in this place, in this temple, in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's where I'm going to find him and to inquire in his temple, the place where he desires to be. So what is it about the temple? The temple is where sacrifice is made. He says, that's where I want to be. Because in the temple, there were these courts, these inner rings. And in the very centre of this was the Holy of Holies. And in the centre of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments were kept. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was this gold base where two golden cherubim, these angels, were uh, crafted and placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant called the Mercy Seat. And once a year, the high priest was allowed to take the blood of a sacrificed bull into the Holy of Holies. And he would literally take the blood and sprinkle it over the gold. So that this golden mercy seat was sprinkled and had dried blood on it over the years and years of sacrifice that was made. And David is saying, this is the place that I want to be, that I might gaze upon what? that I might gaze upon the place where sacrifice is made for me and my sin. Which sounds strange to us until we fast forward a few hundred years and we find the God who makes sacrifice coming down for you and I so that he might not just see bull sacrifice, but that he himself might be sacrificed on our behalf so that we might know him. We're told in Isaiah 53 that the Lord of glory, the Lord of beauty, he willingly lets go of all of his beauty and he was despised so that people would look on Jesus and no one would say, this man is glorious, this guy needs to be in Hollywood. There was nothing about him that we would look at him. He lost beauty and even went to the cross where all of his beauty that he had in heaven was lost. And he sacrificed himself for you and for me so that we might know him and that our ashes in our life might be turned into beauty. 
David says that the place I want to be is in the temple. And we as Christians now fill with the Holy Spirit say the place that we want to be is in the same place of sacrifice. But now we gaze upon the Christ who was crucified for you and I. And in his sacrifice, we see the beauty of God. Amen. In the cross of Christ for the Christian, we see the love of God on display. And we see the justice of God on display. We see the power of God on display. We see the faithfulness of God on display. Do you want to see any of the attributes of God? We go to the cross of Christ, all wonderfully brought together in conjunction to display this wonder of his beauty. And this is where we live as Christians, before the cross of Christ and his beauty. So I have very little application for us today. Apart from would we as a church turn our eyes upon this Christ crucified for us and see his beauty? Would we seek him? David says, I gaze upon him. Gazing is not just like a fleeting look and then I move on with my priorities. Gazing is this fixed attention that I want to look. I want to know him. I want to seek him. I'm going to put the eyes of faith upon this Christ so that I may see more angles of his beauty. When our family went to the Grand Canyon, we spent hours, probably two, three hours in the morning as the sun was rising over us, just looking, gazing, knowing that this would be our one moment to see the sunrise over the Grand Canyon and as the sun rose all these different shadows and shapes and crevices of the Grand Canyon began to show themselves and as the sun rose different aspects of the Grand Canyon just popped out and, and, and we just point them out for the Christian there is something in the heart that says I want to stay in this place and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord so as I'm in church again and as I'm in the Bible again as I'm in prayer again as I'm a community group again as I'm in worship again as I'm in these places different aspects of the beauty of the Lord just are highlighted and we get to know him step by step by step by step this is our vision amen, amen. is to know Jesus Christ